Doing a Buck oh, Owens, Buck Owens cover. I didn't it's a Bakersfield it. sound. I love it. Is that Ringo? How old are you, Dave? How old am I? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> that is Ringo, yeah. Movie theaters are experiencing a resurgence in the aftermath of the pandemic. Audience have rediscovered an appreciation for sitting in the dark with strangers. And if you've ever wanted to take it a step further and get into the movie theater business yourself, our resident historian, Felix Spinell, has a deal for you. An Art Deco cinema and drive-in theater for sale in, in where? Colville. Colville. Uh, yes. Now, this is about 75 miles north of Spokane on one of my favorite highways, US 395, which we talk about often on this program. It's the Alpine Theater in Colville and the Auto View Drive-In just outside of town on the way to Kettle Falls. So about six hours from the radio station if we left right now. The current owner-operator is Steve Wisner. He's a third-generation movie theater guy. His grandfather, Earl Wisner, got his start in the silent film era at the Granada Theater in the Dalles, Oregon, nearly 100 years ago, then ran the Dalles Drive-In Theater, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. Steve is 72. He spent most of his life in the movie theater business. My first paying job when I was 10 years old at 50 cents an hour. Great pay for a 10-year-old at that time. <laughs> I was fixing speakers at the Dallas Drive-In Theater. Now, it's in his blood, obviously, and his parents bought the Colville Theaters about 50 years ago. Steve's been involved pretty much the whole time and took over from his parents a few decades back. But now Steve Wisner wants to retire, so the Alpine Theater and the AutoView Drive-In are for sale. They went on the market in November for the asking price of $800,000 for the package. That's the business, the gear, the real estate, and that includes everything. If you've always wanted to be in the theater business... This is something you can do. Also, it would probably do better because for me, it used to be open seven days a week and the driving used to be open six days a week. And I just don't have the energy anymore to want to work that much. Yeah, the Alpine's open five days a week. Now the auto view is open on the weekends from spring to fall. It's a seasonal thing, of course. Now it all sounds really tempting to me. I can't be the only one who's fantasizing right now about running a movie theater empire in a rural northwest town. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I am the only are. one. <laughs> okay, the cricket, play the cricket sound effect there. The rural aspect is part of the appeal. And in case you're worried about where you might live if you bought the theaters, these are residential properties, too, because there's an apartment in the movie theater in town. There's also one in the projection room concession stand building out of the drive-in. Steve says that's pretty amazing out there, and he should know. He lived there for 16 years. The apartment where it is in the kitchen, you can look out on the mountains, and uh, it, Colville River goes by. And I don't know why they call it Colville River, because it's more like Colville Creek. And you could see the uh, bald eagles flying around it going after fish and uh you also because it's so dark out there well it used to be a lot darker but now there's some other businesses around and you'd see the northern lights yeah, so some basic facts the alpine theater opened on january 8th 1937 that uh, seats 220 people it's got a great neon sign um the auto view opened in june 1953 and can hold 220 cars it's one of only five driving theaters left in the state of Washington. Now, I didn't look at the balance sheet or anything like that, but I'm just a historian, Dave. Come on. Yeah. Um, but Steve says the business is good. I also got the sense that Steve isn't too sentimental about the transition ahead, about his family getting out of the movie theater business after three generations. I think he's ready to retire. Uh, I think my daughter and wife will be more sad, but not me. No, I have been there. I have done it all. 
Yeah. Um, now, he's technically not the end of the line because a grandson in Spokane is working in a movie theater while he's in school at Eastern to become an engineer. So it's not it's they're still in the business. Um, now, as I was fantasizing about buying the theaters, I had what I thought were some really good ideas about special events and mini film festivals, things sort of things you could do there. Steve said, well, you know, been there and done all that, too. I've had some car clubs talk me into uh, playing American graffiti and they die. I mean, they just die. No one wants to see old movies for whatever reason. It's probably the worst weekend for the whole year. Now, I mentioned the theaters went on the market in November, and Colville's a small town, uh, fewer than yeah. 5,000 people. Every, everybody knows everybody, right? Is it, is it the only theater there, so do you have a monopoly at least on the movie Pretty much, yeah. I would say that? within a radius of probably 50 miles, maybe. Yeah. maybe. Um, there used to be a theater in Chewila. I think that's been mm-hmm. shut um, Now, I had to gently inquire, you know, how this whole notion of change was going over with those other townsfolk. What's response been like around town when you're in town and people know the theater's for sale? What kind of response are you getting from people you've known for a long time? <laughs> Have you sold it yet? <laughs> Have you had anybody? Is it anybody around here? It isn't anybody from California, is it? <laughs> so Steve Wisner assures me any buyer from any part of the world will be welcomed with open arms, but I think a Washington buyer, those arms will be slightly wider open. Um, Got the same assurances from the people I talked to at the Stevens County Historical Society. Now, I've got pictures at my Facebook page showing the both both locations, the theater and the drive-in. And I'll happily share my ideas for bad programming, free of charge, with anyone who buys yeah, the outline sure and <clears throat> the auto view. So and it's a great deal. I mean, I think about, you know, I think about like the future. What a great kind of a third act for somebody mm-hmm. to buy this whole theater empire in the you, town of Colville. You, you really want to do this. You're really trying to talk yourself into doing this, aren't it's, you? It's hard. It's it. I mean, am I serious? In all seriousness, does this, does the fantasy have any appeal for anybody in the room here? This notion of kind of being a theater owner in a little small town. Um, hundred percent. It's so romantic. Okay, I would love doing that. Wouldn't that be cool? It's yes. something like a Hallmark Christmas movie. It's like the one in Edmonds, the the small Edmonds theater right there. Yeah, There's yeah. something so romantic about a tiny theater yeah. where they show one movie in and... a for profit business, but that ties the community together, yeah, yeah, much yeah, yeah, like yeah. this radio station does, twenty four hours right. a day. 100%. Okay, Edmonds. That's only like a twenty minute drive. Where? How long is the drive to Colville? Five, five hours and thirty eight minutes. If we leave an hour ago, according to traffic, at five thirty totally in the morning. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. All right. Well, Colleen, your dream is awaits. <laughs> If only I had money. <laughs> I have a feeling he's willing to deal. <laughs> uh, Felix Spinell, all his features are at MyNorthwest.com. Thank you, Felix. 636 Seattle's Morning News. A new report is out on the decades of efforts to keep Puget Sound's waters from turning into a dead zone. With the update, here's Cairo News Radio's Diane Duthweiler. Puget Sound Partnership releases the state of the sound every two years. Executive Director Laura Blackmore on the latest report. I would love to be telling you that Puget Sound is on its way to health and that we've made the progress that the people of Washington and the legislature would like us to make. It's hard to to not be getting there. She says five key measurements of Puget Sound's health have gotten worse, 23 have stayed the same, and six key indicators show signs of improvement. We are seeing some progress, and that's in things like restoring estuary and floodplain habitat. Eelgrass is holding steady in Puget Sound, which is great, and that definitely sets us apart from other areas of the country where they are losing eelgrass. Our beloved Dungeness crab live in eelgrass. How are they doing? Not as well as we would like, that's for sure. There's probably a myriad of reasons for that. Chinook 
salmon vital to saving Puget Sound's orcas. Despite decades of concerted effort, our Chinook salmon are not recovering to anywhere close to the rate that we would like. They're also not getting worse. And that I take as a major accomplishment given the human population growth that we've experienced here in the last two decades, as well as the intensifying effects of climate change. The conditions in which we're working keep getting harder and harder and more and more complicated. We also have not had until recently anywhere close to the scale of the resources that we need to invest in salmon recovery. Blackmore says more local and federal money is being spent on pollution mitigation in Puget Sound. To acquire land from willing sellers and restore it. Recently, lots of culvert replacement projects, so opening up streams and rivers that have been blocked for generations to fish passage. Managing stormwater better, getting toxic chemicals out of our water. And to update sewage treatment to prevent spills when the systems are overwhelmed with stormwater or suffer breakdowns. Fixing the wastewater treatment plants is an enormous infrastructure challenge, particularly for the older plants. And expensive, but Blackmore says money won't solve all of Puget Sound's problems. The money doesn't help with climate change. That is for sure. Humans have to make the decisions to reduce our carbon footprint. I do want to emphasize that I think we can save this place if we act boldly and with urgency. Diane Duthweiler, Cairo News Radio. Let's go to Washington, D.C. now and CBS Congressional Correspondent Scott McFarland. And first, Scott, uh, an update on the case of Democrats under Bob Menendez. There is now another indictment against him. For people who have not been following this story, what is he accused of? Well, this is a humdinger of a case, Dave. This is a second superseding indictment against New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, the Democrat. He's been accused of trading official government actions or using his office to benefit businessmen, but also potentially with nexuses to the Egyptian government to benefit Egypt. And the new superseding indictment makes a reference to some type of call he made to officials or representatives of the country of Qatar, again, with the aim, allegedly, of benefiting businessmen with whom he had connections. And ultimately, his wife is charged with being enriched in this scheme as well. This is the case, Dave, in which Menendez and his wife were accused of receiving gold bars. Oh, yes. And a new and a new car in exchange for efforts by Menendez to do things for certain people. Okay, that seems like kind of a ham-handed thing for a senator to do. Uh, is Does he have a defense here? Is it a case of mistaken identity, a misunderstanding? What is he saying? He has made an unambiguous argument, Dave, that this is politically motivated and that he is not guilty of the accusation thrown against him. Um, we'll find out much more if and when this case goes to trial, and it's scheduled to do so later in this year, though there's a great possibility, a great possibility this gets delayed significantly. Yeah. But here's the thing, and, and there's really no way around this. This is a second superseding indictment. The feds have come at him now for what is a third time trying to press him on this case. Ultimately, that may be an indication that there's no plea agreement negotiations going anywhere. And Menendez refuses to step down. I mean, there is a time and place when you're charged with federal crimes. A member of Congress would leave the office as he or she would recognize just the charges are a distraction and undercut credibility. Well, Menendez is sticking around and insisting himself. Hmm. I know some members of his own party are saying he should go. But maybe he thinks that, like Trump, an indictment only in, improves his political chances. I think this is the dynamic of a post-Trump presidency <laughs> era, where members of Congress, where elected officials stick around amid things that would other been, otherwise have been yeah. backbreaking. You saw that with George Santos. I mean, you saw that yeah. with Trump himself. They, 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 they're impermeable 
to uh-huh. what they would, used to call distraction. So is he claiming that? So he's claiming it's politically motivated that he's he basically is being persecuted. Uh, is he denying that he had the gold bars? I think the, uh, his defense attorney has said that the, the the latest accusations against him and the prior accusations against him are desperation by the Department of Justice to get Bob Menendez. Now, what to make of the gold bars? I, I don't want to get ahead of that, but that's going to be what I'm watching most closely as this case develops, if and when it goes to trial. And oh, by the way, it's set to go to trial, not in New Jersey, but in New York. Yeah. On the uh, other big matter that's pending here, you've been uh, pointing out on your X feed that we are approaching the anniversary of January 6th. Uh, yesterday is the three-year anniversary of when Donald Trump asked for just uh, another 11,780 votes. Uh, what, what's the status of these cases, and which one is likely to, uh, to break first? Four criminal cases, two of them local, two of them federal. The one that is most likely to go to trial first and the one that is potentially the most recognizable to Americans is the one here in Washington, D.C. Trial date is still set for March 4th in the election conspiracy January 6th case against Donald Trump. There are all kinds of appeals and nettlesome matters that could get it delayed, but might not. And that case not only has primacy on the calendar, but it's the one people get, Dave. I mean, there's a hush money case. There's a very sweeping Fulton County, Georgia election case. There's that classified documents case where so many things are secretive. This one people saw on television. <laughs> they saw between November 3rd, 2020 and January 6th, 2021, what Donald Trump did and the crimes he's accused of committing. That's one that's first. And by the way, the three-year mark of January 6th is Saturday, and President Biden is marking that with a speech about democracy in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. These uh, attempts to get him removed from the ballot in Maine and Colorado, do you think those are going anywhere? Well, there's a political and a legal issue here. Politically, it's adrenaline for Donald Trump. I think his supporters would argue every time these cases come forward, he gets a jolt of energy from supporters and others who say that people are just going after Donald Trump. They're trying to victimize and persecute Donald Trump. Legally, I think it's all on, on, a, on, a, on a pathway to the U.S. Supreme Court. You can't have 20 different states and 20 different issues uh, impacting a federal election. Colorado and Maine running a different course than California and Michigan and Minnesota. It's just a matter of how fast it gets there and whether this has any teeth at the end of the day. CBS correspondent Scott McFarland. Scott, thanks very much. Thanks, Dave. Coming up, 735, what happens when you try to get every possible vote. But first, joining us now is Washington House Republican representing the 2nd Legislative District, Andrew Barkas. And uh, Representative Barkas, we noticed that you have pre-filed a bill, House Bill 1989, which would quote, create a graffiti abatement and reduction program, to which thousands of people are saying, it's about time. So uh, so first of all, tell me exactly what what prompted you to do this. Well, good morning, David. Happy New Year to you, first and foremost. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. (laughs) Excuse me. You know, I uh, have been serving as a ranking member on the Transportation Committee in the House for the last uh, four plus years. And every single time I drive on any of our highways in the state, especially through Puget Sound, the amount of graffiti that is on the infrastructure is overwhelming. And it's just year after year. And finally, last year, I looked at, what are we doing on this? And I started asking, well, we're covering it up, but we're not going after those that are actually doing it. Mm-hmm. So I looked at putting some legislation last year in 
that would actually uh, look at the penalties of those who are committing the crime and, and, and look into doing community service. That bill didn't go anywhere, so we came back this year with a different approach. And this one is to get the agency, the WashDOT, to start looking at an abatement program, products that could be put on the infrastructure, on the walls, that would prohibit the adherence of paint, number one. Number two, using cameras that are within the uh, network of, uh, on our highways to identify those. And then three, let's actually arrest or prosecute those that are actually doing the crime and maybe, just maybe, will deter and will stop what's going on with this uh, graffiti. Yeah. See, I, I hate to stifle artistic creativity. And, and some of these people are clearly talented. But there's a, a sure. place for that. And it's not, it's not when you're trying to it's concentrate not. on the road. And especially it's not when it covers up a, a road sign. That's a, a safety hazard. So now, That's right. now I, I've also looked for ways to try to abate this. My idea was to buy this cheap plastic ivy that you can get at, uh, at garden stores yeah. and just put because they never you notice wherever there's ivy on the walls, uh, they don't bother. They, they won't touch that. But uh, are there magical substances where the paint would just sort of uh, dribble off and not stick? Well, that's the that's the key. And that's what we want to find out. And I believe so. I had talked to a couple different manufacturers. Uh, there are, of course, I'm sure they're expensive. And that is, a, of course, an issue. But, you know, if we just start enforcing our laws, possibly, and look at these different things, maybe that would start too, because there's just no deterrence, Dave. It, people are doing these things without any consequences, no deterrence, no nothing. And it just, it, it just it's getting worse and worse and worse. So, the products that I believe are out there are, you know, I was thinking of like a Teflon, you know, a Teflon coating yes. on a pan where nothing sticks to it. So at least uh, if we build all this beautiful new infrastructure, which we're doing all over our region, then maybe we can protect that from the next level that's that's going to come because they're going to do it. I was just in Spokane here a month ago uh, doing the big uh, ribbon cutting for the new north-south uh, corridor there, seven miles. Beautiful. It's just a big canvas for me. Yeah, right. Uh, I think you're dropping out there. But uh, Chris wants to ask you a question, our traffic coach here. Yeah, Andrew, this is our, uh, Chris Salva, our transportation reporter. Any thoughts in this to potentially asking WashDOT to close the express lanes or to open the express lanes overnight, uh, at least in Seattle, because that – they leave that section undone, and that's where the the, the the people just walk the express lanes, and that's how they access the I-5 main line through climbing signs. Mm -hmm. That's how they spray paint that whole area. Uh, is that something you might consider as a way to maybe preventing access to what is the downtown core where it can be the worst? Uh, that's a great point, Chris. I was not aware that that was shut down, but... Uh, having traveled through that uh, expressway, and of course it is one of the worst areas of uh, graffiti, um, that would make sense. You know, a lot of these areas, um, better lighting, uh, access, uh, but it comes down to enforcement also, Chris. And we know that on our highways, uh, we are down, you know, hundreds of state troopers. We've been working on that the last couple of years in the legislature uh, to get more troopers on the road. But we just need more people out there that when they're seeing this uh, to identify and hopefully catch the people that are doing it and, and, and maybe uh, deter them through uh, enforcing the laws that are on the books today. 
Um, but that is a good point, and I will uh, I will research that uh, when we get in the session this year. Of course, obviously, money comes down to the what you know in terms for funding something like this, potentially using some of the the climate money uh, that is uh, in <laughs> vast excess uh, over what uh, right. was anticipated. Right. I know that's going to be very heavily contested this month as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and that's the, that's part of the thing. We have a maintenance, excuse me, <clears throat> a maintenance and preservation shortfall in our budget uh, that we've been working on. And when we're spending millions of dollars having to cover over graffiti, that's millions of dollars that could go to repairing guardrails or, as, as Dave was saying, some of these signs that need to be replaced. A lot of the different things that need to be adhered to or, or attended to on our highways as opposed to having to cover up constantly the graffiti that's being uh, spray spray painted all over the infrastructure. Okay, so you've pre-filed House Bill 1989. Do you have uh, co-sponsors? Have you done a little uh, polling to see if this is going to get any support? Well, I have. I actually have talked to uh, the chair of the Transportation uh, Committee, Representative Fly. Uh, he is interested in it. I believe... Uh, Representative Lowe signed on and, and others. You know, when you pre-file Dave, you just kind of check it weekly and see. But I've had many talk to me, especially in this last uh, couple of days, as the media, yourself and others, have really uh, seen this and also acknowledged this problem because it struck a chord, Dave. Yeah. Everybody drives and sees this, and they go, what is going on here? So this has struck a chord that maybe – uh, we'll take some action and uh, actually do something about it. We've got to start somewhere, Dave. Yep. And so, you know, that's my hope. I'm hoping to get some support. And uh, if they don't, if the majority doesn't bring it to the committee for consideration or even get it to the floor for a vote, well, that is kind of telling about how we uh, approach things here in the state when it comes to, you know, crime and, and some of the things that we're seeing. Well, I'm glad to see the effort. Keep us up to date, will you? I will, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And again, I wish you the best this uh, new year. Thank you very much. Republican Andrew Barkas representing the 2nd Legislative District in the state legislature. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. We are still scooping up the feel-good stories from the holidays. When Donald Wilson lost the mother of his three children to a stroke, he was left alone and struggling to parent them while keeping a full-time job. Then an unlikely neighbor came to his aid. CBS's Steve Hartman has that story. On Detroit's west side, we found a story on a second story. It's a duplex. Yeah. Downstairs renter Colin McConnell says the new neighbors above have been disrupting his peace below. Those are Detroit Lions practicing up there some nights, you know. In actuality, it was three peewees, running backs, and force across the hardwood. The kids belonged to 33-year-old Don Wilson. And for months, Colin knew nothing of Don beyond what he could hear through the floorboards. But when they finally met, Colin says he picked up a whisper of something much more. You could just tell something was weighing on him. So that's when I kind of was like, you good? And and he just kind of was like, "Uh, not really. Turns out, Don had just lost the love of his life and mother of his children. LaKenya had a stroke and died this past summer. She was 39. Just not having that person here, you know what I mean? Like... No, I can't be like her. (laughs) Juggling the kids and a full-time job with virtually no savings was overwhelming. 
After Colin heard that, the noise from above became the least of his worries. He posted a video on social media asking for anything to help this guy. And within hours, the boxes started showing up on his doorstep. This is all for you, bro. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, bro. It was everything Don would need for Christmas and beyond. But he says the best gift was that it all came from strangers. That was the best feeling because random people that you don't expect, that surprise joy. It was just, it's amazing. I never felt it before. Very soon, people around the world will be listening for sleigh bells. But in this tiny duplex, this man will be listening happily for the pounding feet of children enchanted and know that Christmas has come. Look at that. Steve Hartman on the road in Detroit. And now from the G and Ursula show, which starts at nine here on Clarence News Radio, here is G Scott. Good morning. So you've embarked on a program of personal self improvement for the new year. Is that yes, you? I did. And sometimes you ever you ever just tell a bunch of people stuff of what you plan on doing so that you can help keep yourself accountable. Yes, you know that's, what I mean. That's the biggest step. That's the biggest step. Yeah. So it all started on Sunday, New Year's Eve. On the field in front of 60-some thousand, we started off the game, me and the other game day hosts, and I didn't know until the last minute that we were going to be revealing our New Year's resolution. And and I was like, oh, okay. They surprised I, that? Well, it was on a script. But oh. you know how I am sometimes? Sure, okay. I don't pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're an ad-libber. Bingo! There you go, yeah. So it was on the script. But anyway, so I found out. I'm like, okay. So it got to me, and I said, I'm going to get rid of bread for the year 2024. The whole year? The whole year. Honey. Colleen, that includes... Uh, crackers, crackers, oh. potato chips, oh. Sully. That includes wait, wait, wait. pizza. Chips aren't bread. And cold pizza too. Hold cold on, pizza. Hold on, G. Potato chips aren't bread. It's got some in it. It's just it's I mean, a little processed. Carbs, but they're not processed. bread. I'm not messing with it. Pasta. Not messing with it. Okay. So, so you're giving up carbs. No, I'm not, because I'll have some rice and everything like that. I'll have some. Oat, I'll have some oatmeal. Bread. Yeah, but he no also said. He also said so, potato chips. So also, I'm also going to now. Bread is the, like, that's the hard no. So then I said, I'm going to add a little doozy in there just to see, because I, I, cause now I've been really researching it now. You know, if you guys go through, I mean, we have Google now, we have information, and you can kind of go down rabbit holes, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing that. And I went down the rabbit hole, and I went down a rabbit hole on just sugar in general. <sighs> okay, yeah. Sugar, uh, we've yo, interviewed people who call sugar the new tobacco. So right now, I'm on day three of no sugar. Are you grumpy? Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes. Absolutely. Everybody I talk to who gives up sugar, they're like, it's about two weeks of I'm an yo, awful person. Yo, so I did not realize, everyone, our diets and what we consume, everything is around sugar. Especially Americans. I was in Costco last night and I was just... Ladies, excuse me, sir. Oh, sorry. I'm looking at labels, right? Like everything has sugar. I didn't realize how much sauce I put on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you guys, you, Dave, you put sauce on your rice. You put sauce, sauce? on anything. Sauce, any type like of sauce. Like sauces? Yes, sir, sir. Ketchups and I all the different I just had orange stuff. chicken sauce on rice last See what night. I'm saying? Oh, it's so good. It's like a sugar bomb, though. To not eat things with sauce? 
I'm going to lose my mind. You're going to lose a lot of weight, too. You're going to disappear, my friend. No carbs, no sugar. Right. So yesterday. You've already given up alcohol, right? I've given up alcohol, yes. Yeah. I mean, what are you eating these days? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. This morning I had the oatmeal with blueberries. Yes, that's good. Oatmeal with blueberries. And uh, for a snack, I'll have the egg bites. Okay. Right? I'll have that. Uh, For dinner last night, I had uh, one little piece of salmon and a palm full of rice. Now, Mm -hmm. why is this? I'd love to know the reason because you are a fit person. I'll tell you why. I want to look better. And I get on stage and do a lot of emceeing, auctioneering, and speaking engagements, Mm -hmm. and I want to look better on stage. So uh, oftentimes I find myself buying more clothes to feel better. Uh, Sure. Right? I buy new clothes and new clothes. And so in 24, I want to buy less clothes in 2024. I can't I can't speak for the shoes, but less clothes in 2024, <laughs> but I wanted to look better. And then I, I got to tell you, being serious at first, it was ha ha ha, I'm going to do it. But then I seriously started to I've been really reading into this sugar stuff and how the average American eats an average of 17 uh, teaspoons of sugar, added sugar every single day, which comes out to be 60 pounds a year, mm. which if you really want to break that down to all y'all bowlers out there, that's six bowling balls, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, six bowling balls, man. So no soft drinks, huh? No soft drinks. Whoa. What about and natural, no hard drinks either? What about natural sugars like honey? Can you so, put honey on your oatmeal? So, been looking into that, right? So it's cool. Like you can, you can try to, you can have a little bit, but sometimes we're eating a lot of stuff they're putting in our foods. Like, oh, an apple a day. That apple got a lot of sugar in it. Yeah, it's natural well, sugar. Not, you, you, yeah, yeah. As long as you get the roughage with it, it's when you concentrate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I so get that fiber. I'm on day three. Mm, okay, I don't have a headache yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm but I'm not even exaggerating. This I can feel it on its way to being like for anybody that has an addiction to anything, mm-hmm. I can feel this sugar thing yeah. being. So I'll keep you guys, you know, I'll let you guys know about yeah. my journey. I think you can I've seen you put your mind to so many things and you always accomplish them. So I'm rooting Thank for you, you but Thank I don't you, have Colleen. to because you're so good at this. I appreciate it. You're Dave, welcome. what's that look on your face? Yep. We've got your back. If I see you with a snack and you haven't got to snatch it away. <laughs> and you eat it bro. yourself, yeah. right, Dave? I, I appreciate <laughs> it. I'll eat it myself. Uh, no, no pizza, Sully. <laughs> no pizza, man. You wouldn't have liked that barbecue chicken with oh, bacon yesterday no. that I had yesterday. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Slathered in sweet rays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wash it down with your Diet Coke. Right. And a Diet Coors Light. A year from now. <laughs> a year from now, a whole new G-Scott will be with us. with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan, joined now by Heather Bosch. It's not often you get an unexpected check in the mail you can actually cash, but thousands of you did, and it was a result of a settlement with major poultry and tuna companies. Came from the Attorney General's office, and some Republicans here in Washington State have major questions about this. Here's Heather Bosch. Well, Representative Jim Walsh is calling the settlement money fishy Fergie checks, referring to State Attorney General Bob Ferguson. The AG's office decided the state's low-income households would share in the $40.6 million settlement. The problem here, Walsh says? Quite a few people who've been deceased. 
they've been dead for years or decades are getting the checks. He says there are also cases where some very alive but not low-income residents are also receiving checks. It's not exactly clear what mailing list or database the state attorney general is using to send the checks out. So I called Ferguson, who tells me they had help putting together a list of recipients. We work with Experian, so it's not our list, right? We went to a data broker, somebody who'd have uh, what we believe to be as reliable list as can exist for sending out 400,000 checks to Washingtonians. And he says with that many checks. We've mailed 400,000 checks, you know, obviously on a on a data set that large, the system's not going to be perfect. But there's something else that's raising eyebrows here. Ferguson's name is on the check and on a note along with it at a time when he's also running for governor. Walsh says some of his constituents are crying foul. A, a cynic would say that he uh, did this thing in an attempt to get his name on uh, on checks to people to encourage them to support his gubernatorial campaign. Ferguson says his name is on the check so recipients will know it is real. And I get that people are going complaining now because, hey, I'm running for for another office. I get the state Republican Party is literally tweeting out that people should sign their checks over and donate them to the Republican Party. Look, I get what this is all about, but this is a practice we've been doing for literally a decade and nobody's complained. Until now. Walsh admits the practice breaks no legal or ethical rules, but he is considering legislation that would prevent the practice in the future, Dave. Okay, so I, I have some friends who got these checks. I'm wondering what, you know, what gives here. So uh, when, when he says this has been done, are there other, do you give you examples of other settlements where checks are just mailed out to regular people? This is a little bit different because he says usually when they have a settlement with a company that's overcharged people, they have specific receipts and yeah. they know exactly who's involved here. Um, the AG's office contends that there was so much price collusion going on over the years, they didn't really have specific a specific group to target. So he said what made sense was to issue these checks to low-income people. So that's why we're seeing 400,000 people getting checks. And he, of course, is saying the company they worked with to come up with this data, you know, there are going to be some mistakes there, and clearly there were because dead people are receiving checks. And what do they do if you're a relative of that dead person who received a check? Great question. The AG's office tells me you should rip, rip up that check. Don't try to cash it, oh. but you should also contact his office and say so that they can kind of track what's happening and where the problems in the data lie. So they can get back to the company they contracted with, and if this happens in the future, come up with a better list. Well, if so many of those checks aren't refunded, I'd love to know where that money is going. Are they just going to reissue checks depending on your income? They may because more money is coming in. We just found out from the attorney general's office that they've settled yet with yet another company that makes food for $400,000 plus. Wow. So this is kind of a fluid situation. Yeah. How do they figure out somebody's somebody's income when we don't have an income tax? That's a good question. You'd have to go back to the company that originally crunched all the data, which I've reached out to. Experience, right? Question, experience. Yeah. Yeah. And has anybody? I know that there's this uh, complaint about his name being on the check, and I guess uh, did Donald Trump do the same thing with? He did, and Ferguson specifically said, "Look, I had no problem with Donald Trump signing." The, the stimulus checks. He be says, the one thing he doesn't have a problem with with Donald Trump. Says, <laughs> <laughs> well put there, my friend. But uh, he says, look, we're public servants. We're elected. We hold office. People should know that we're working for you and we're putting yeah. money back in your pockets. He's just 
doing that while he's running for governor. Yeah. So nobody's alleging an actual campaign violation? Then. No, not even Walsh. He was head of the Republican Party in our state. He says no. But again, he's going to go back and look at maybe some legislation to stop people from putting their names on checks that go in yeah. the public. Okay. Heather Bosch. Thank you, Heather. Anytime. And the countdown is on. The big game is almost here. I think, Mr. Burbank, this is as close to the Super Bowl as the Seattle team is probably going to get this season, wouldn't you say? Wow, yeah, that hurts. But uh, yeah. very excited all the same, definitely. So definitely you want to be down there to see the Husky game in person. And Mickey Gomez is here to tell us exactly how to do that and what it's going to cost you. Yes, yes, I am. You remember this, right? And Washington advances to face Michigan in the CFP National Championship game. I got to be honest with you. I, I was I was rooting for both teams because, hello, I'm from Austin, Texas. Oh, right. I mean, all my life growing up, I wanted to be a Longhorn. And then... Hook them horns. Hook them horns, baby. But then... I move here, and I love an underdog story. But you also have ties to Michigan. Uh, oh, I, I, I'm sorry, guys. I will be rooting for Michigan. I apologize. <laughs> You're conflicted in every turn of this I know, championship. I know, but listen, I am so excited about the Huskies. I love an underdog story. And the reason why, people are like, they're not the underdog. And I'm like, well, I mean, the last two years, I mean, yeah. yeah. So at any rate, you want to go to the game on Monday. Well, a quick check online is going to show that it's going to cost you over three grand. Okay, that's just one person. That doesn't include taxes. It doesn't include fees. We're talking about one nosebleed ticket in like section 600. Okay, Um, a two day round trip airfare to Houston, Texas. As of yesterday, we priced it. The lowest price we could find was like nine hundred dollars per person round trip. It was like nine eighty And then you got to include hotel fees and the hotel stay, which for one person, one occupancy was going to cost you around eleven hundred dollars. Plus the facilities fee. Right. And the carbon tax and uh, the towel charge. The hotel tax. Look, the bill. (laughs) I mean, all the money the kids pay to go to school there and all the alums they keep hitting up for money. Why Mm -hmm. can't they just, you know, sweepstake it? I don't know. I wish they could. I wish they could. I wish they could send me, you know, so that way I could report on the game. But at any rate, um, some things to think about if you are planning. Hey, listen, you know what? I'm we've made the decision. I've taken money out of my savings. We're going to go to this game because it's going to be big. I want you to keep some things in mind. Number one, make sure when purchasing a ticket that the website is verified and has a secure online checkout. Use a credit card and not a debit card to make purchases for fraud protection. Thank you to the, you know, the consumer guy. Uh, you Herb know, Weisbaum. Herb Weisbaum. Yeah. That's right. He taught us that. If it sounds too good to be true. It is like a hundred dollar ticket, right? Right, or a five hundred dollar ticket. Even five hundred, yes, even a five hundred dollar ticket. It's too Ugh. good to be true. Don't pay cash or use apps like Cash App, Venmo, or Sell to purchase your tickets. Okay, that's that's another thing. Um, the good news, though, if you are decide if you are planning to buy a ticket today, the good news is that Houston does have two airports. They've got Javi and then they've got Bush International, so you can decide which airport. You know, you don't have to buy a round trip ticket, um, according to um, our you know Seattle travel expert uh, Steve Danishek. He says that there's no benefit to buying a round trip ticket, so you can buy a one way ticket. So you can. Okay. 
other fly than into convenience. Hobby. Yeah, right. true, but you could fly Don't into no hobby. advantage, Steve. There's right. no convenience going to this game well, right now. Try to return a rental car. Yeah, you know, and if the, and there's probably not any more rental cars available. Yeah. You could oh, always so you're do be walking. You could do Turo. taking an e-scooter. And I'll be honest with you, Houston does not have trains like we do here in Seattle. It doesn't have like it has mass transit, but not as efficient as we do. I believe, right? No, we get a horse and buggy. Yeah, it's a horse and buggy. By the way, having gone to games like this on a whim, mm-hmm. uh, like when my team, Tommy's team's in it or th- other things, I would even f- remember the $900 one-way tickets that we had to go to the sh- uh, Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Mm. Those flights are $195 today. They're $500. Well, well it, no, well, I just checked right oh, now. Check? One, one, one way to New Orleans. I would re- go round trip okay. to New Orleans, yeah. drive the four hours, to and Houston. go. Yeah, that's Look at options like that. I mean, that's how I got to Brookings, South Dakota, or things like but that. You, you fly gotta to Omaha make sure, and drive. But you got to make sure that rental cars are available. available true. So before, to our two traffic reporters. Yes, back back we, we know. We know what it's like traveling and so, yeah, I think flying into New Orleans would be a great idea. And then you can get on 35 and then you drive your way to Houston. Mm-hmm. No harm, no foul. Just make sure that rentals are available before you buy that ticket. Well, finally, the game was on TV. <laughs> well, you know, the rematch is going to happen October the 5th at Husky Stadium. There so you there you go. If you miss it. You get to see it almost again. Mickey Gomez has got a traffic check at 854 from the Beacon Plumbing Traffic Desk. Here's Chris. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.